0: Videos. That's cool. cool. So, yeah. So today there was another thought I had, and actually I was going to talk to you about this. Is that the only thing that we have never gone into from a video or a film standpoint? And I think you're the one best to describe. Is I'd like to do it's like. Porn, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> that could be. I
1: would be open to getting someone who does porn onto the show. Like it's a
0: creative. Give access. me one second, uh, okay. and I reckon <laughs> I reckon I could find someone before <laughs> the end
2: In of the podcast. Three point seven minutes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome to Maker and Creator, the podcast about creativity and culture and how it affects us. My name is Jai Smith and I'm joined back in the studio, but not really a studio, in Alex's office with my ever, ever co-host, Alex Adams.
1: Someone said to me today, they're like, oh, do you record in a studio? I was like, actually, we kind of like a makeshift studio. <laughs> I mean, if anyone was to see our kit, like it looks really like professional guy, everything there's all these wires Liars. and really fancy microphones but we can essentially pop up anywhere and today we are popping up in my office in Paddington.
0: Secret Foodies HQ.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: with a five-star rating that's a long story. <laughs> um, today we are returning to our glorious set of friends who venture with us on the show and today we have Damien Kassar who is not only an award winning director, but I've had the privilege of working with him as a writer and as a creative. So, work, well, blah, blah, blah. It's been a while now. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Damien. How are you? Thank you, Jai. I'm very well. Hi, Alex. Hi. So, I think one of the reoccurring themes that we've been talking about on the show is, is we always kind of come back to content in some way or form. It seems like a lot of the things that we're talking about, kind of your modern day makers, uh, is really focused on this idea of making film, making beautiful things. Whether that's you know f- strictly digital, whether it's Georgia draws a house, mm-hmm. whether it's being a writer and a journalist. A lot of these f- formats that were once in you know purely kind of pen to paper kind of domains become digital very quickly, and video is certainly no exception to that. Today, what I wanted to talk about was kind of the things that we touch on a lot of the time, which is certainly. Uh, what makes artists do what they do, what inspires them to make things and what are kind of the challenges they face along the way. Certainly one of the recurring themes we have also on on top of that is this challenge between creatives and kind of their ability to think themselves through something and kind of the impact that has on mental wellness, kind of your health and well-being, but also kind of managing stress. And I have talked a lot about Mm -hmm. the episode we did with Steve Willis in terms of how do you get in the mindset of being open to the world so you can actually start to explore and express it? Mm. And then, you know, I think the other interesting part I think we should explore today is really around what's the anatomy of filmmaking and film itself? Because with the enormous push into content from Netflix, and from Stan, we're hyper consumers of not only long form video and film, but also the huge episodic. You know, binges that we all go on, and how that's kind of changing filmmaking—you know, for the better or for the worst—and and and maybe that's a good place to start. Why don't you talk us to a little bit about your background, Damon, in terms of how you ended up where you ended up today?
2: Um, Well, uh, my God, that's a massive question. (laughs) Um, It started. Take us back to uh, the beginning. Well, it started with my mother. Um, No, I, I I've been into movie making, film since I was way like three. Um, really? Yeah, it started really early. So um, movies and film popular culture was a massive part of my family. Mum was a singer. My dad was, he was in marketing, but like movies and music and all this kind of stuff was, was around me a lot when I was young. Um, and I picked up a video camera, I think for the first time when I was six mm-hmm. and made films with the neighborhood kids, Nice. you know, uh, all the way until I was like 10. Um, remaking things like Back to the Future and Hmm. like Labyrinth and it was awesome. Like (laughs) it was, and and it was just when kind of the, um, you know, the kind of on the shoulder, late 80s cameras were there. So once I learned how to use it, um, yeah, I was off. And it was one of those times where kids weren't really as protected as they are now. So I lived in like the inner South of Sydney and there was like a, there was a bush near us and we just run off and we'd create our own stories. And to be honest, that's kind of how I learned a lot about film because um, I was shooting it. I was coming up with the stories when I was young and then I would put it onto a video, and I'd, you know, a VHS, and we'd analyze what we shot. Um, and as I grew up, uh, that became a thing that I took and, you know, using the technology as it evolved, started to edit and splice into my own work. Um, and that process, like, I, I think was an invaluable training because... You know, not only was I comparing to the films that I liked and loved, but I was learning things about performance with kids and shot sizes and just how to cover a scene. And and I, I you know, I look back now and I'm like, yeah, I think that that was kind of where it all started. It was weird. And,
0: and what tr- kind of stories were you trying to sell, tell at that at that kind of age?
2: At that age, it's weird. Like some of the stuff was just rip-offs of movies, and we were just trying to replicate them. And we we loved seeing you know, us performing characters that we love coming to life. Um, We, you know, we would use our own voices as the music and sometimes we would be off camera narrating what was happening, right? (laughs) So not only did I make that, I made an 11-part series with my brother called, <laughs> I don't really, like, The Six Faces of Dr. Chong. Um Which seems just be politically incorrect now. Yeah. But, uh, uh, You're a product of your time, you know. That
1: was okay in the 80s. <laughs> I'm, pretty sure,
2: I'm pretty sure there was a movie called The Six Faces of Dr. Zhu, which he got it from. Anyway, mm. we, we made, like, this 11-part series, and that we totally made up. So it was very, very, like, stream of consciousness. So we were writing as we went. We didn't sit down seven or eight or nine writing a script, but we were writing it as we made it. So I know it's, it's kind of funny, but like, I just look back at that and a lot of the notions of what was compelling on camera. We learned that as we kind of did that. Um, yeah, that's kind of where it began. I've kind of forgotten the question, but like... That's,
1: <laughs> I just felt like so much nostalgia there. Yeah. And like I remember being in primary school and I would perform... I would recreate The Simpsons for my parents. Yeah. but I And they were so sweet. They'd sit there in the, in the lounge room. They'd be like, yeah, go Alex. And I used to do every character. So I'd be like, oh, oh my, oh my. And I'd do all the different voices and I'd do the... Do, 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 and I'd make everything by myself and just so much creativity recreating those shows i want to know what what did your parents do to foster such creativity within Your kids like my parents are teachers, Mm. and I look at it now and I go. I think they. We also grew up in the country, and so maybe not having as many um, external stimulants maybe created a a safer space for creativity.
2: Broken uh, broken Hill, you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Broken
1: Hill. So was there anything in particular that you think your parents did to foster such creativity in young kids?
2: Yeah, well, so Mum was a singer, right? She um Uh, yeah. yeah. So she went to the con Conservatorium. Okay, opera singer, and you know she was on TV a little bit in the I think it was the late 1960s. She was on like the Barry Crocker. She had a creative parent. Pretty much. And, yeah. I mean, Dad was creative too. He, he 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 would paint stuff. I mean, he did go into marketing, but he was always about communication, and mm-hmm. so he had a much more intellectual, I suppose, version of it. Whereas Mum was, you know, she loved Barbara Streisand, and and you know, was from a very young age exposed to music. I was in, I went to the Johnny Young Talent School when I was young. Um, What's that? It's so there was a show in the eighties. <laughs> called Young Talent Time. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? Oh my God, that's <laughs> blasphemous I, in I the Australian paradigm yeah. of light entertainment. You
1: were on the Young Talent Time? I wasn't on it. There oh. it was actually
2: school Johnny Young set, set up in the in the early eighties. And I, I went to that for a little while. Wow. Um, and, yeah, so, uh, you know, and throughout the 80s there was some performances at Talent Quests and things like that.
1: See, that's yeah. quite different. i just going to stop and recognise that for a minute because yeah. I think a lot of parents growing up in the 80s, like sport is so heroed in Australia mm-hmm. that children playing cricket, playing football, playing a lot of sport would have been very heroed at the time during the 80s but to push creative outlets. Yeah. I can imagine, I don't know, I feel like that would have been quite unique at, at the time.
2: Well, it's paid dividends. My brother is a writer. My sister <laughs> okay. is a fashion designer. My other sister is a singer and I'm a filmmaker There you go, wow. so there you, isn't
1: that interesting So yeah. how much is nurture nat- versus nature? I
2: um, I, there's definitely a lot of nurture <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I feel very lucky in that creativity was encouraged in our family mm. And um, it's been a theme throughout I also feel like sometimes it was an outlet as Yeah well. Um,
0: well that's what I wanted to touch on mm. Which is why did you feel the need to do
2: this? I uh, <laughs> So, my family history is a bit weird. Um, uh, I know we, we touched on my surname. My surname is Maltese, right? Um, but, you know, ethnically, I would say culturally, our family are Italian. We all speak Italian. Um, mm. Some Me, not, not so well, better than some others. But, you know, my parents, whenever they would have a conversation you know, that we weren't supposed to know about it was in Italian. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and my grandparents were, you know, non nuds and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But my family, they migrated from um, Malta and Italy from in the late 19th century, and moved to Egypt. So my whole family lived in Egypt. In both my mum and my dad's parents, funnily enough, grew up together in Egypt. Really? Yeah. yeah. And they, um, uh, <laughs> they lived there to it was the Suez crisis of the fifties. So, but my mum's family came to Australia and my dad's mm. family went to England. So, Dad came to Australia when he was 25 and then married mum, right? So it's been a very culturally confusing upbringing. Right. Because I have like shades of the British Empire, of mm-hmm. like the swinging 60s with my dad, of like Egypt, you know, which yeah. was, you know has Arabic culture and they had Mediterranean. Like, I mean, they were essentially, they were like colonialists in a yeah. way. And yeah. then obviously Mediterranean culture as well, coupled with Australian culture. So growing up, I felt a bit culturally confused. And I think our whole family was... Was feeling a little bit of that. And I think an outlet for us, um, not a fantasy or anything like that, but like a definitely a, a common denominator of conversation, which, you know, evolved with my family over the years, was popular culture. So film, television, music, movies. Um, and was
1: that Australian popular culture or was it different?
2: It was, it was everything. I'd say predominantly it was Australian, um, American and, and British. Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah.
0: And do you think that is tied back to that kind of, I think for anyone you know, even myself to a certain degree included kind of searching for that identity piece, mm. looks for f- frames of reference. So, like, if you are European, you are not British, American or Australian. Mm. And if you're trying to fit into, especially in the 80s, that kind of culture, it would be predominantly made up of those areas. Mm. So, like, it, it fascinates me to, like, are you emulating that to see if it feels right or that, you know, you're just showing that you're connected to it?
2: I think you just always... Just seeing what you are testing. You're seeing what works. Yeah. Um, you're navigating. Like, I'm, I'm, to be a bit dupe straight away, I think this country is a little bit culturally confused. Mm. So, mm. you know, I, that that was a journey. That was something I definitely felt. I mean, obviously in the 1980s, there was a pretty dominant culture, you know, yeah. mm. Australian culture that has obviously evolved since then. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't particularly feel like our family felt was you know, we, we we fit into that. So yeah, I feel like a way to engage with that was some of the more artistic pursuits. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and and we were very engaged with the Australian popular culture scene. Like I was obsessed every Monday when my mum came home with TV week. I would just <laughs> like devour <laughs> TV week. I was, you know, I, I watched soap. I grew up on a country practice. I loved all oh, that country. <laughs> <practice>. <laughs> so <coughs> I look back on that era of very, you know, with yeah. with, with a, a fondness, with a little bit of confusion, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, it's made me because my whole project, I think, has been about identity, mm. you know, and kind of navigating what's really going on with a bit of that fantasy world, which is, I suppose, for me, popular culture in a way.
0: And so, what happened next? Like, did you go to uni? Did you go to film? Is film school a thing here? Yeah, it's a thing. Um, <laughs> he says with a wry right smile.
2: Well, so this whole like making home videos kind of progressed throughout my teens, and it kind of culminated in me making a massive stuffed dummy, which I would double because <laughs> we, we lived in this like two story terrace in Burwood in the early nineties, and we just kept throwing this stuffed dummy out of the <laughs> window. And, you know, we'd, we'd run up to the window and be like, Oh And then we cut to a shot from down below, and out comes the dummy. And yeah, so <laughs> kind of evolved into a bit of action. Yep. Um, and then, I, and then I kind of, at the end of high school, I started um, dabbling into kind of just having a camera around all the time with my mates when we'd go out and just filming little, what I would say in hindsight, a kind of skits. Yep. Um, and I did that um, throughout my first years of uni. And when I left school, I did a media law degree at Macquarie Uni. Really? Yeah. I
1: went to Macquarie Uni. Did you? Yeah. yeah. My friends did media law. I did just the media. Yeah. I don't enough. know
2: why I did the law. Yeah. Um, I actually, actually, no, I know what I did because my grandfather always wanted to be a lawyer. And um, so did you, did you become a lawyer? It was like wish fulfillment. Like... Um, I, I'm a masochist, so I'm a <laughs> finisher, computer I just kind of. Oh, so although I haven't finished the teaching degree, I started. But um, how uh, many
1: degrees have you started?
2: I, I, yeah. So well, did you finish your law degree? I finished my law degree. So you're yes. a lawyer? No, I didn't no? go to the bar. Oh, I okay. finished it, but I, I, I was um, of the, uh, you know. Young person's uh, thought that going to university should actually be about becoming a renaissance person um. rather than an economic entity that leaves and can go into a job. And like so, Macquarie
1: for media law was kind of unique because you either went to like Sydney and it was like straight law absolutely. or business law, or but media law was quite.
2: Yeah, I uh, mean, like the whole th- yeah, they, they were a little, a little less black letter and a little bit more about yeah. the philosophy of law and right. And I I do, I did learn from a, a variety of people, both right and well left and right wing, very right wing, so. It was, it was a bit eye-opening for me. And actually, I would say um, uh, opened my eyes and made me a little bit more political, which I yeah. keep very quiet. You don't keep that <laughs> quiet. You did not keep that yeah. quiet. No, I know. Of course, I work in advertising. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So so you went to law, you got your double degree Sorry, yeah So um, I went, You went to law, did I just say that? I I'm law. so bad at podcasting you know today to
2: you. <laughs> So I went to Macquarie and um, uh, I made a couple of films in Macquarie And I met a, a whole lot of great people who I still keep in touch with now Colleagues, some of whom have done really, really well um, Probably the most significant thing I made there was a short film called The Gardener Which was um, entirely in Italian Huh. And it was kind of a little bit inspired by my family's story, kind of in the early '90s. Yeah, I had a gardener, and I kind of used that to tell a story about migration and memory and kind of narrative. Um, yeah, and that kind of that, that had traction, probably because I was playing the Italian card a little bit. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was it, not comedy; it was serious, and it was it was really, I suppose, about asking the question as to who tells stories and why do we tell stories? And yeah. How do we make sense of stories when we don't have all the information? Um, right. You have this like, young kid trying to make sense of the, this gardener's backstory, which you find out later on was linked to um, World War II and the death of his wife. Wow. So, yeah, it's pretty full on. Um,
0: and you alluded to it just then. You, you ended up, and how I know you, specializing in comedy. Was that at the same time? Or no. No? Not at
2: all. <laughs> I started off trying to be like an art house filmmaker Really? That's kind of where I wanted to be in the beginning Um, Do you still like art house? Love it I I, To be honest Like I grew up in When I went to university Postmodernism was massive right Which was you know Postmodernism was not very fashionable now But what I did get from that Is learning that I I love mixing and matching And I like pastiche I like things that aren't just like a horror film I like things that you know, I love Get Out because it kind of molded these. Oh, movies. Get Out is brilliant film. You know mean? So I I, I I like things that kind of aren't the thing that you expect for that genre, or or maybe there's a form that you're adopting that you is a is a hybrid of other things, but you can't really put your finger on what it is. I was trying to do that when I when I kind of left when I was at uni when I left uni. Uh, um, but but to be honest, uh, once I made that first film, I I. I don't really feel like I knew myself very well.
0: well. Well, that was almost what I was going to say, but yeah. in the, from the point of view is I think to mix genres, especially in film, you kind of need to have experienced them for a while.
2: Well, that's, that and, was the entire problem. I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't had any life experience.
0: And, and that's it. Like, and as we talked to Lindsay Bennett on our last episode, is an exceptionally young but you know, very accomplished journalist. There is still something about experience and time. And, you know, Absolutely. obviously you can be exposed to lots of things quickly and, mm. you know, Alex in particular has done, you know, exceptionally well, you know, we were just talking about it before, like you were 25 and you had your own business and, you know, we're sitting in this beautiful office down in Paddington now <laughs> and yet there are still some mediums that require a bit of exposure to it to understand them more.
2: Yeah. Mm. I, I think that if I look at hindsight, I my whole 20s was about self-exploration maybe a little bit of, of it, a bit of denial about myself. Mm. And, um, what were you
1: in denial about?
2: Uh, the need to self-explore. <laughs> the need to just live life. Yeah. Um, you, did I you spent, think
1: that you knew everything or mm. was it
2: like... I think that I felt... I, when, I, when I kind of left uni, I felt like I'm going to be a world-class filmmaker, right? So mm. I spent maybe the first half of the naughties just really trying really, really hard to be that mm. without really caring. And it became to the point where I didn't really care what art I was making? I just want, was chasing success mm. as uh, opposed to the art itself, yeah.
1: Or like your idea of success,
2: yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I'm, I'm like, it's not. that I'm not a hard worker. I wrote three features during that time, and like was really disciplined mm. and made a couple of shorts that you know uh, they were okay, but it was it was a it was a. I look back now as a, as a very very beneficial period for me in that I, I, I just kind of learned. That you, you need to you need to almost release yourself from yourself.
3: No,
0: mm. yeah, um, I think it's true, and that's
2: an ongoing thing for me. It's it's something I've found it very difficult to do, which leads a little bit into comedy, right? Because the release for me, and it's something I've always done, I suppose, is kind of like when in doubt, be a clown, right? Right. So, like, pretend you're Tom Selleck. Um, <laughs> you know, That's gonna need some explaining later. Just like, or just like, turn everything into a joke. Sometimes that can be like a coping mechanism. Mm. But just, stop, I just kind of was like, stop being so fucking serious, my friend. Yeah. And, and 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 spin it and find the humor in everything. And when I started to do that, I was like, you know what? I kind of. I know how to do this. I know Mm. how to find the funny. I wouldn't say I'm a naturally funny person, but I know how to do it. And sometimes I feel like there is a difference. There are people I'm around who can make me laugh till I fall over and die.
0: Until they try to be funny?
2: Uh, Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, what I felt like I I, 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 that that spoke to me was the execution of of funny um, to talk about stuff that if you went a little bit deeper... It's actually a serious subject, which I think is usually the best comedy. But yeah, yeah. And so that's that's kind of when I pivoted. And and um, the first thing I made was um really simple, and it was with my brother and my sisters. That's uh, the theme here. Um, we did a bit of a satire about Australian Idol. And so my brother played like just a, a dude like like a social worker who's just at home and aspiring to be on Australian Idol. who's about to go audition, and it's a really kind of just. And we were very inspired by the time because remember, remember The Office came out in the early noughties. So mockumentary mm. started to become a thing yeah. like the mid '90s, Yeah, so that was kind of the first thing. It was, it was really, it was quite funny. He, was, he just, just a, around his performance of like, and he, he couldn't really sing properly. And, you know, but we kind of contrasted it with the fact that he was actually a really lovely guy worked in, you know, <laughs> but he just couldn't sing. And, and, and just that like pathos, that kind of comedy, I, I started to gravitate towards that. And then I, I had a bit of a mentor after that. His name was Malcolm Frawley. Do you guys remember the guy recently who was on the bus who like, it was like a Christian guy on the bus who was just shouting some stuff and there was a guy no. sitting on the bus and he just was standing up for everyone else on the bus. No. Anyway, it was like something that you'd see on Junkie or The Project or something. Like yeah. He was a celebrity for three minutes but to me, he's been a celebrity for ages and if you listen yeah. to Malcolm, thank you. Um, <laughs> he, he was, he had like a, a troupe and mm-hmm. I hung out with them for a bit and we just, we kind of workshopped some comedy stuff and, I learned heaps doing that, just with actors, um, and that I, I think was my initiation into kind of knowing that comedy might be a thing that I could do, and then I kind of went went further with that.
0: So on on that, what and and I want to get into kind of the the anatomy of what makes film film. Do
2: you really want me to answer? I
0: that do, I do, because I think you're one of the few people that I know who can who can really kind of talk about it with some authority, but.
1: What do you mean by that, John? I'm becoming as to what that means. So, and like define film in today's age. Do you mean like Netflix? Do you mean movie? Well, that's kind of what I want to get into as well. Is
0: there a unifying set of things? So, for anyone listening who's interested, like I want to make a film. Yeah. And I want to sit down and write it. Yeah. For me or for somebody who's been in advertising, you kind of see it enough to kind of point and look at it and go, I know what these parts are. Yeah. But, you know, for you, what does a story need? Yeah. How do you define a story from a narrative, mm-hmm. and what do those actors bring to it, and how do you structure all that together? Yeah. You know, for part of your process in particular, because in my in my mind, it doesn't matter if it's a Netflix short; it doesn't matter if it's a feature long. There are some basic there are basic parts to filmmaking mm. that you need to understand, and I think that's something that we tiptoe around a bit. But, you know, I'd love just, you know, your bullet point version on what kind of goes into that.
2: I'm not, to be honest, I would consider myself more a director than a writer, even though a lot of the stuff I've made, I've written. I've never really formally trained as a screenwriter. Um, But I can, you know, some of the fundamental things I think you need in any kind of film is conflict. Um, And that conflict uh, manifests itself in different ways. So you need to have... A goal for whoever's the protagonist of it, and you know there are obstacles that that person has to overcome. Yep, and there are people that help them, and there are people that don't help them. Um, you know, that's that's a very Joseph Campbell way of looking at things, but it, it it's kind of one of the fundamental kind of narrative structures. Then there are people who don't listen to that at all and just usurp it, and they 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 maybe. They write through a more stream of consciousness way and they go, I'm just going to make something that to me is compelling. And they find a structural way to tell that. And usually what that means is, is by not telling the audience that much up front and revealing things as it goes along. Mm. So keeping people compelled and that translates into the ad world as well. You know, it's like even your 32nd ad, that's why a lot of them have a punchline at the very end. Yeah. Kind of ladders up to a brand message message Um, or a longer form piece of content. Um, you have to keep them watching for longer than 30 seconds. Mm. So there's gotta be some kind of rhythm or build that propels the audience. So I think, I, think, I saw this on a wall today in a co-working space and it was <laughs> JK Rowling. And it was like, every story needs an audience or something like that. No, I'm a fan of J.K. Rowling, but it just <laughs> it did feel like someone had taken what may have been her actual quote and turned it into some uh. like kind of wall art. But um, and it
0: also sounds like a marketing thing rather yeah. than a storytelling. Yeah,
2: or like a Josh Groban song, or like every picture. Is <laughs> and know. also,
1: like she didn't even really know who like her audience. She just kind of wrote. What she wanted she did. Like, she and just did what she wanted. And-
2: yeah, I think a lot of a lot of. Um, this is going to be really deep. I think that a lot of that stuff mm. can come from um, coming from a place of truth. Because I feel like truth you is is a fundamental kind of reservoir mm-hmm. of um, compelling stuff. So it's why like, in, I suppose in the ad world, everyone's like, what's the insight? What's the truth, right? Mm. Because if there's fundamentally something there that, is true to you for want of a better word, it will have an audience. Mm. It will compel people.
0: Well, it's relevant is why yeah. we
2: use insights.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that just you know, that's kind of what I think are the basics of that filmmaking in terms of you need something, you need conflict, and you need something to resolve.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, and I've got a short. I'm right. I've got um at the moment. Right. It's got three acts. So sometimes I follow a three act structure. There's like you introduce a character. Um, you kind of define the world they're in And the problems that are in there Something happens They're lunged into a world In the second act They kind of got to navigate their way To a climax In which what They try and get what they want And usually in the, the second act they, Something happens Where they think they've lost it And then the third act They regroup mm. um, You know With some insight about themselves And they attain that goal um, like I said, I'm not a screenwriting. No, but I think that theory. stuff's
0: interesting. Like I, I think the first time anyone explained to me by the second act, it's the worst possible point the characters are in. And end then of the second act usually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, the end of the second act. Yeah. And then you start to look at all the content around you and being able to break it down like that. Yeah. And I think when you see something that's boring, it is because either there isn't enough conflict. You don't care about that conflict. There's nothing at stake. Yeah. Or the characters around them don't make any sense to why they're there or why they're not there.
2: Yeah. But you know, the history of television over the last 20 years has been doing things to completely deconstruct mm. traditional modes of storytelling. I mean, obviously, the cliche, but the, the, one of the first was the Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the anti hero was obviously Tony Soprano. We never really saw on TV a guy's complex and as kind of terrible as he, as he could be but also some of the episodes were almost literary in, in structure in that they weren't really about traditional plot they would like just like be character based and just linger on character for the entire mm. episode um, and so- that's that
0: change from where we get involved of a series for a long time though right so if you've got 100 episodes to talk about things mm. your audience is going to be much more comfortable with doing just an episode about a character
2: absolutely so mm. you need to you need to be really good at defining up front and creating the world of the of, you know you can conveying and capturing the attention of the audience mm. i feel like at the moment that we're we're actually in a bit of a glut of content um, there's too much content mm-hmm. and our perceptions are all changing as a result of the converging technologies and and our ability to actually discern between what's good and what's not now is actually getting harder. So there's heaps of really great stuff on T V, but it's almost like it's at like the same level the whole way. So you, you're finding mm. it harder to discern mm. as to what to watch and what not to.
1: Or overstimulate, there's too many choices. Yeah. I, I don't But not, is that not the case in everything in life? Like, I feel like they're getting too deep. As you said, there's just so many choices with everything that you want to have.
2: Maybe, but 30 years ago, we had three channels that we watched. Yeah. and You know what I mean? Oh, in Broken Hill, it was and, two channels. Well, exactly. <laughs> and it was temporal as well. So yeah. we had to be in front of the box at a certain time yeah. unless we recorded it on a VHS and be there for it. And I think it's changed a lot of the way. I mean, mm. the way we consume video has changed. People watch gravity on their iPhone. <laughs> like, I mean- that's kind of blasphemous, yeah. really, given the artistry that went into the images of that. What and that th- wasn't me, by the way. Uh,
1: <laughs> what do you think the future looks like?
2: You've got two young children. I think you were saying, was
1: it five and seven?
2: Uh, uh, f- oh, my God. Oh, three and four, three. Almost four and seven. Four and seven. Yeah. What
1: does their future in film and con- um, consuming um, film look like, do you
2: think? Well, like, I suppose we could go one of two ways. Isn't the thing that we're all going to have a chip in our arm and then we just go boom and then you know, we watch whatever we want? I don't know. Uh, in front of like our – I'm being serious. There's yeah. like the next extension of an iPhone is a chip in our huh. arm, right? Well, uh, I think,
1: you know, in terms of like journalism, I know that um, it's gone away you know, it's sort of heading more obviously towards user-generated content. So, yes. you know, um, a tragic accident, a bombing happens somewhere and before the journalists can even get there to report on it, you've already had, you know, 50 different points of view of live streaming happening from mm. users who were there sharing it on their smartphones. Yeah. So it's user-generated content from a news perspective, I think will probably be where it the future is and then also that obviously poses its own questions on fake who's, news who's, and who's curating who's, who's that curating it who yeah. owns the who's, platform who's fact-checking exactly. this i know so that's from a news perspective how does that translate to the creative um fiction or yeah. creative so, process um,
2: i mean obviously ar film. and vr will, might become a thing where like you go somewhere and you can see story like film storytelling that comes in front of you where a headset or mm. or, a headset or whatever well um,
1: like almost like choose your own adventure books but you literally get yeah. to go into yeah. the adventure imagine, well again in the uh,
0: it was the Black Mirror one that burned, uh, mm. what was it called I haven't seen it but and there's it a Bear about. Grylls choose your own adventure really? now where you're watching it in film and yeah all you need to do is you think can, about uh, putting that on you know through a pair of VR or AI, AR kind of uh, I think that's kind of cool <laughs> <laughs>
1: love to get into some VR with their <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. um. <laughs>
2: Drink the pee or don't drink the pee? Oh, drink, the pee. drink the pee! <laughs> <laughs> they give you like a warm cup next oh. you. Yeah. By the same token, there could be a backlash. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know whether... I mean, like, because everything at the moment is so bizarre globally. Um, I don't know if there will be... I mean, there already is a move towards regulation of things like social media and... I, I don't know where that's going to go, but there may be I don't know about this generation. There may be a move towards, you know, looking at things like going to a movie as a retroy thing where they have mm. a fixed hour and a half that they go sit in the movie theater, and they don't have to watch a story for four hundred hours on Netflix. <laughs> you know, it, that may come back in fashion. I don't know
1: because it's cool and retro. It's vintage. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to do. Like, oh, I, wanna I, do I, I want to do it got, the, old yeah,
2: the old ways.
1: Yeah, the old way. Or
2: just because our brains just have. Reach saturation point. Yeah. And I
1: actually No, our brains are far more advanced than what we're actually even utilizing. So I don't Limitless pills. Yeah, pretty much. Like (laughs) I think our brains can cope with more. It's probably the mental health in terms of like in terms of consuming we can do it but you're probably like the mental health yeah. is probably where we'll start to see it suffer. We were talking about this before you got here about the whole um Instagram and taking away the likes and yeah. you know Instagram was like oh it's great for you know children like kids who are on Instagram it's better for their mental <laughs> do health. You really than, think it's better? No no and i was like i don't believe for one second and then you were saying that it's well, um, if not to do with yeah. mental health, that's their PR twist, but it's probably more about stopping people from scraping data.
0: Yeah. So if, if, if no one else has access to that data, then they own it all and it instantly becomes more valuable to sell them to, to advertisers.
1: True. But if you know, the, the plus side is if you know, your kids on Instagram, you know, anything like that probably could be better for their mental health.
2: It's interesting. The impetus for both of us, I would say is to keep them away from it. Um, it's kind of where we're at at the moment. It's weird mm. when you become a parent and all this social media stuff comes into play. But I mean, I'm not seeing it yet. Obviously, my daughter's seven. Mm. It's not really becoming a thing. I, I'll have to see what happens when, you know, they come home and they're like, "Can I have a Facebook page?" I'm like, mm-hmm. they probably
1: won't want a Facebook. They will want a Snapchat or Snapchat whatever the next or, thing yes, is. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I was like, Cambridge Analytica? No. Ah, <laughs> I just yes, got a tweet I, about that
1: actually. Yeah, I just <laughs> finished watching Hacker on oh, Netflix. That's yeah. crazy. Which
0: is weird. Yeah, you just yeah. said that and I just got a tweet about yeah. that. Yeah,
1: but um, I was talking to a friend of mine. He was saying that um, his daughter, who's 14, 15, the way that they use Instagram is very different to the way we do. Mm. So they use it as um, a communication, like a chat sort of tool. Oh, so really? one, like, someone will post a picture, some normal picture, And he'll look at it and go, oh, my God, 300 comments. Like, it must be a pretty amazing photo. It's not. It's just some photo of, like, I don't know, their dog. And then it will be like, hey, how are you? Yeah, good. What are you up to? Blah, blah, blah. And they chat. And then they don't do it in a DM. They're just open forum chatting about their weekend and what they're up to. And it's just like a back and forth little chat tool. Yeah, wow. Um, Which is a very different way that we use Instagram.
0: Absolutely. Maybe they're just dumb.
1: No, I think, well, he's, he's a, yeah. No, I'm
0: joking. Yeah. Right, yeah, it's, Who knows? It's so public, right?
1: So public.
0: Anyway, so we digress. We digress. <laughs> so Instagram. As, a, as a segue from that, um, what has been your own journey with, because obviously self-exploration, it takes its toll mentally. And I think for any artist, it takes its toll. Um, there's an exposure and there's a rawness for creatives and artists that I don't think other people are exposed to. Mm. What, what has kind of been your journey around sharing your like, big parts of yourself with the world, whether they are comedy or whether they are more serious, mm. with, through you know, working in agencies, working for yourself, and back again?
2: Uh, it's been really hard. Mm. Um, uh, there, are, there are glimpses sometimes where I'm able to really touch uh, that this is really sad in the wrong. I should, yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> when I'm able to find parts of myself that I'm willing to express. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but given my default is, um, uh, oh God, what it would be, um, comedy? No, more like I do not want to show parts of myself. Um, yeah. A, a more not good enough type thing. Okay. And that's been a battle for a very long time. Um, it's been really hard. And when I find, find moments where I'm in flow, I'm really big into flow at the moment. It's yep. a thing that's working for me a lot. And knowing environments that work for me, um, then I'm more open and I'm more vulnerable. Vulnerable, the word of the, uh, the moment. <laughs> um, but when I'm not, it leads to me doing very panicky things, which has been a theme of my career. I will sometimes just want to make stuff because I have a need for approval, rather yeah. than than making stuff that like validation? validation, like seeking validation. Yeah. yeah, and it's it it's almost like your your own personal shit spills over into the into your career.
1: Oh gosh, I'm sure we've all had that. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely have.
2: It's something I was very embarrassed by for a long time, oh. but I'm kind of I'm now that I'm turning forty, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's a project I really want to talk about now because I think a lot of people bury it. And and you need to, you need to talk about it because a lot of people I know who are artists and who do, do create all suffer the insecurity virus. Um, for me, it's not even just insecurity; it's anxiety. I suffer from anxiety, mm. so um, overcoming that through art can be the most satisfying journey of all. Mm. Um, I found though that like my neuroses, uh, comedy really helped that. Mm. So I made sure couple of years ago nick bosher from the bondi hipsters mm. called finding oprah winfrey um it's just a little short that we made and it was all about this just this guy who was obsessed with oprah winfrey and she was coming to australia and it's just this funny little 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 short of him trying to meet her but in the process finds out that he's gay wow. works it out yeah, and yeah, it yeah kind of almost jerry spring away yeah but you know just merely by t- turning up at the opera house that he that you know that he's he finds out something about himself right and that story is just a funny little comment about celebrity culture and you know uh, American kind of like self-actualization or whatever yep. but emotively it was it was very much connected to for me to just getting in touch with who you are yeah. expressing that and, and, and detailing the importance of being in touch with that and being okay about who you are. And this sounds like, honestly, this is to be violins or whatever, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it was, that's, that's kind of where that came from. Um, and so I, I do kind of approach comedy with a little bit of pathos as well, because I feel like the life is a bit of a comedy now. So yeah.
0: yeah. No, I think that's, I think that vulnerability is difficult for anyone whose job it is to express themselves because the two are completely diametrically opposed.
1: Oh, anyone who is a creative or yeah. takes a chance and puts themselves out there is exposing themselves to vulnerability. And it's funny you say that word because um, I, for me, it was only a couple of, maybe two years ago that I was comfortable with even the word vulnerability being in the same room as me. Yeah. It was very it's much a very like. a confronting word. It yeah. is. Hello, Brené Brown. Thank you. Shout yeah, out to you. She's, she's, she's been pretty cool. She's right? incredible and definitely, the, you know, the art of vulnerability and, and whatnot and sort of. Um, rising strong and everything that she – I've read a lot of her work and I think she's fantastic. But any creative, when you're putting yourself out there, you are exposing yourself to vulnerability. And what I think is really interesting is with comedy in particular, you know, you look at the likes of like, you know, Robin Williams Mm. or there's, you know, a lot of um, comedians who are plagued by mental health and they often – when they go on stage, they're the funniest (laughs) person in the room and you think, wow, they're the most confident person – but behind closed doors, there's so many insecurities and so many um, self-doubt. There, why do you think that is so common in the comedy
2: world? Uh, because I think it's linked to what we've talked about. Comedy is a coping mechanism for mm. a lot of people. Um, it's a way of creating artifice, fantasy, um, but also just like it's like a it's like a, um, a funnel to to talk about some very uncomfortable things um, in in a in a register that people will understand. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we're in a bit of a weird time at the moment where people are questioning how far comedy can actually go. Um, but you know, for people who are insecure or who suffer from mental illness, or you know, who are just self-doubting or cynical, mm. it's it's a instead of like being really kitchen-sink serious and wanting you know to get blades out because you're constantly thinking about the negatives, it's a way to spit to flip that and just you know find a a, a form that entertains people and entertains yourself and yeah. also gives you. For some people, an artificial confidence mm. that you can use and create characters mm. and, 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 and a mask.
1: And lightens the situation almost absolutely. a little bit, yeah.
2: Because, uh, you know, uh, the person that suffers from, from uh, self doubt, all they really want to do is connect, right? Mm. What's well, the best way to connect with people is to create some kind of art that reaches people, you know, reminds people of, the, of what binds them together, you know? And that's why I make ads. No. <laughs> 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 so, um, yeah. I, look, I, and so that's been like a really long process for me to kind of mm. get to the point where. And now I just feel like I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I'm okay with all that stuff now, and I just want to make really great work that's linked to some things that I, you know, that I, I'm concerned about. Yeah. Um, I also want to connect with people and entertain them. So I. I there is a desire for me to move back into the film and TV world. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of maybe a project that will happen in over the next couple of years. Um, and I, I, I do that because I like it's where my passion is and always has been. I still watch, i, I love talking about movies, love talking about popular culture and I don't, I, it's addictive. I can't stop. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Jamar, I bet there's so many creatives out there that completely resonate with you, where you're coming from, mm. um, where they've, you know, maybe they've even got a persona or a vibrato that they put on through their work, but deep down they do suffer from anxiety or insecurities. Um, is there any advice or um, any me- techniques that you've been able to learn over the years that you would maybe share with other people?
2: So, uh, I mean, I did try, I've tried meditation many times. Yeah. Um, does it work for you? Uh, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Um, I think I'm, I'm a very physical person So um, even just like going for a run Or going for a walk Really <laughs> helps um, What's worked for me recently is, uh, is the morning pages Have you had morning pages? No So no. you just get up in the morning And you write three pages of longhand Of whatever is in your head huh. And it's kind of like an emptying process So it doesn't need to be coherent It's not really a journaling It's just kind of like you, you dump the words on the paper and for me, that's been really good because I tend to wake up going, blah, 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 blah. and
1: yeah. if you yeah. empty
2: that, it does clear your mind a little bit, in the same way I suppose the meditation is supposed yeah. to. Um, but it's a more tactile way to do it. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because, like, you know, what did we used to have for this stuff? We had religion, right? I mean, we live in a quite secular society now, right? Or we squashed
1: it and didn't talk about
2: it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but the the outlet you had to go and kind of you know be peace or whatever or think or whatever, it's going to church right or for for Christians I don't mm. know like mm. I'm, it's it's does has made me kind of as a, someone who became militant atheist for a while kind of go, oh hold on a second yeah well, know. it
0: gives you a play, a safe space to talk about things and explore things with people who won't pass judgment on you yeah apparently
2: apparently <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: I love the three page. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. it's really a great technique. I mean, myself, I host many events. I'm in the public eye doing lots of things and um, not many people would know, but I also mm-hmm. suffer from anxiety as well. And put me in front of you know, 500 people, I'll stand up and I'll be able to present. Mm-hmm. I'll be able to um, command a room, but put me in a small group of people that I don't know in a party and I, I get really anxious about it. Um, if i don't know the crowd or the situation and i sometimes suffer from anxiety there and meditation i've also found has been great mm-hmm. but sometimes i find when i'm meditating if i can't do the meditate you're like i should be meditating i'm thinking about dinner i'm thinking about breakfast yeah. so <laughs> concentrate on the medita- meditation i'm so hungry <laughs> you know yeah. exactly i'm like i should be meditating yeah. i can find that somehow but i actually found running as well so i run quite a lot mm-hmm. and running also helps me just sort of Burn off that fuel as well. For some people it's yoga and meditation, <coughs> other people maybe it's a little bit more of an active kind of process. But yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to try the, um, the three page dump. I don't know if I'd have three pages worth, but.
2: You <laughs> surprise yourself. And when yeah. you start, start off, it's kind of confronting because you realize how much, how little handwriting one does. So yeah. Hand yeah. Up, <laughs> yeah, You know? So was so like when the HSC, I was writing like essays oh. about looking oh. for <laughs> Alibrandi. Like, what's going on? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know? Now
0: it's stuck
2: in. My partner would say that the way I cope is actually by obsessively compulsively cleaning the house. But yeah, yeah. but I would just add one more thing there. The best way to deal with any of this stuff, anxiety, anything that you go through in your 20s and 30s is to deal with the actual shit, is to actually go and do some work and look back and, and see what actually happened. And I'm not saying dwell on it, but acknowledge it and then try and move forward from it and realize it's made who you are and you will evolve from that. I think that's all you can really do, right? Oh, yep. Damo. so end. good. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Thanks,
1: Damo. That was a lovely note to end on. Um, if people want to follow you in the on- online world, are you on Instagram? Yeah, or? so um,
2: uh, Damien Kassar, director. Uh, there's not much there, but um, maybe there will be. Can um, you spell
1: Kassar for it? C
2: A S S A R. I'm also on Twitter, and um, my website is myname.com.au. Wonderful
1: you another great episode, I was like oh, <laughs> so, so much lovely, more yeah. serious
2: than I thought it would no. be. Oh my <laughs> god! No, I don't
1: think it was. I think you know the, the whole good. point of Maker and Creator is we kind of end up in little rabbit warrens. We, we do. We start on one thing and then it just goes off in different directions. But thank you, Damo no and um, thank you guys for listening to Maker and Creator. Um, if you like this episode, why don't you share it with your friends? Um, every episode is completely different, so there's a topic that you can sort of resonate with
0: yeah, um, and right. if you like this jump in and listen to Eddie Foster's episode which yeah. does a great job on a young almost prodigal filmmaker also uh, we mentioned at the top Ben Harrison's one on making music videos and I think there was another film
1: one I can't
0: remember
1: you, well if you uh, underground cinema underground uh, cinema yeah, was it, yeah. Tam, where she brings um, immersive cinema experiences to the world that's pretty cool Uh, But, yeah, you can hit up Jai. He's on Double Star Co. And I'm Ms. Darlinghurst. And that's it for this week. Thanks, guys. Thanks,
0: guys. Thanks, Damo. Thank you.